This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Some really exciting stuff about what's happening at the Cheltenham Festival. And I just, there's a few things I just want to mention about that. That when you talk about people coming in and pop up brothels and people working in the sex, in, sex industry, we support a church in Munich, and the, the lady who's involved in there has got involved in some brothels. She goes and visits, they're legal in, in Munich. Now, she has got into there and she's seen breakthrough and breakthrough wow. with some of the girls that work. A lot of Eastern European girls who come in, you know, and they get caught up in the sex industry. Now, one thing, I just I want to slightly mess with your heads to start with, but she was praying for one girl and then one of the madams started praying for this girl as well, that she would come, that this working girl would come to her faith. So there were, I don't understand it, but there was a a woman in that brothel who was looking after these girls who, who somehow had got some sort of faith. Now, I don't understand that. I can't get my head around that. But all I know is that God has got grace for those people. And God has got grace, and he loved, he loved working girls, you know, who are in all sorts of difficult situations. And we don't know where they've come from, but I just think, oh, thank God you're doing that. Thank God you're in there. It's just amazing. And the second thing that I just want to mention very, very briefly is, you know when you go for buildings and it's a disappointment, every church that you'll come to has a battle with buildings. And we've just been through similar battles. But somebody said to us, inhabit the land because it's yours, even though it's not. And there was an act of faith that for us, we had this building and this land and had all sorts of trouble. We couldn't get a lease on it and we still can't and all sorts of things. And somebody said, no, inhabit it. Inhabit the land and it will become yours. And that's what we did. And the more we inhabited that land, the more we built on it, even though we had no security of tenure, the more the council was saying, okay, it's yours. We can see what you're doing. And I feel there's just something of, of God's release for you as a church that the more you do what God's called you to do, the more you're out in Cheltenham, whatever it is, the more you're called to, to connect with all sorts of other different people in the, in the community, the more God is going to establish you in this area. Uh, this morning, I'm just going to uh, speak on marriage. And Jill, my wife, is going to come up and we're going to do a little bit of tag teaming, if that's okay with you. And if it's not... We're still going to do it, to be fair. Yeah, we're still going to do it. Uh, it's a little bit daunting to, to be said, you know, to come and uh, speak on marriage because actually I've always felt that we had the perfect marriage, you know. <laughs> and then Jill sort of like had this little word with me and realised we don't actually have the perfect marriage. But we did get married in 1991. 
good year. On our wedding invitation, we put the wrong date. We put, come to our wedding on 1990. It was a year out of date. But anyway, but we did. We got there. If you want to know um, a few facts about our marriage, on our honeymoon, I slept on the floor. Just to let you know. Because uh, we went on our honeymoon to a, on a canal boat. We did the Langotland Canal. And um, it's weird when you get married and then there's somebody else in your bed for the first time and you think, I don't really like this thing. But anyway, the bed on our canal boat... Story, I don't care. Yeah. Isn't it? The, the bed on our canal boat was so small that I thought, I can't, we can't sleep in this. We can stay in this bed, you know, but I can't sleep the whole night because we just none of us will get any sleep whatsoever. <laughs> the other thing is that... Uh, uh, Jill, many people have said that over the last 26 years, Jill hasn't changed at all, that she looks exactly as she did when 26 years ago. And then some very good friends of ours um, came into our house and saw you know, a wedding photograph, and they saw Jill, and they said, oh, we didn't know you'd been married before. <laughs> <laughs> who, who was your first husband? Who was that very slim first husband who had hair? Yeah. When I say they were good friends, <coughs> they were, they're not any longer. <laughs> so this is what's going to happen. In a moment, we're going to read two passages from the Bible that talk about marriage. But before we do that, I just want to uh, give two caveats for talking about biblical marriage. Firstly, not everyone is married. I realise that, that this morning, not everyone is married. Some people will be here will be single. Some people will be single by choice. Some people will be single not by choice. Some people here will be divorced, and some people may well be widowed. Some people might not even be here this morning because they know that we're talking about marriage. It happens. I don't want to be in the room. And sometimes we need to be careful to not idealise marriage and say that is our end goal of our life. No, the end goal of our life is to be resurrected with Christ. That's what we're really going for. But we want to talk about marriage. That is something we want to talk about. We're not defined by our marital status, but first and foremost, we are disciples of Jesus. And God honours both marriage and singleness. You probably know that Jesus was single all his life, and he lived a pretty good life. He lived a perfect life and a perfectly fulfilled life. But we're here. Howard has come and asked us to come and speak on marriage, so that is what I will do. The second caveat I just want to mention to you is that, that marriage is being challenged at the moment in our culture like never before. In a totally unrelenting way, everybody is trying to deconstruct marriage as we know it. Did you know that the average marriage today will last 11 years? that 42% of marriages are likely to end in divorce. And you are more likely to have a long-standing relationship with your bank manager and your dentist than with a spouse. It's a little... I don't want to sort of overly depress you, but that is the reality because marriage is just being squished from every single area. And so what we have to do is... As Christians, and there may, you may not be a Christian here this morning, and if you're not a Christian, well, you're in a right place to come and understand what Christians believe. But we do need to, with confidence and grace, reassert a biblical model of marriage. 
And we need to be able to say, no, this is what we believe and this is why we believe it. And we also, at the same time as doing that, we need to come here and, and we need to stand shoulder to shoulder with people for whom life hasn't worked out as you'd want it to have worked out. So for those of us who are divorced and for those of us who are widowed, no, we need to stand shoulder to shoulder together and still say, no, we believe in biblical marriage. So here we go. This is what we're going to do. Five foundations for biblical marriage is what we're going to look at. And then hopefully we'll get ten practical um, uh, practical suggestions for how to build a healthy marriage that Jill and I will do together. I'm going to read the first passage. So if you could turn, if you've got your Bibles, please, to uh, Genesis uh, chapter 2. So this is this foundational um, few verses about uh, marriage from Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, and I'll make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever man called every living creature, that was his name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come upon the man. And while he slept... He took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that was the Lord that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Okay, the second one is from uh, Ephesians 5, uh, verse 21. (laughs) Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendour, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So the first point that we just want to talk about here is marriage, biblical marriage. What is it? First of all, it's a covenant. Just to let you know, uh, marriage is not about being a good tax break, although the government removed that, I think. It's not just about uh, saving on housing costs. 
people thought we get married, we don't have to have two sort of like, we don't rent two places, we just do one. It's not just a piece of paper, it's not just an arrangement between two people in private coming together. No, it is more than that. Marriage is a binding, solemn, considered sacred promise that is made before God and it's made before the rest of the community between one man and one woman for life. That's what biblical marriage is about. And sometimes we just think, oh, it's just these two people hiding away and, and they, they, they love each other, so they're just going to do their thing together. No, marriage is more than that. It's a promise that is made before people, before the community. The community invo- is involved in it. Uh, I'm sure many of you have heard of a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was an extraordinary German theologian, and he, um, uh, he, well, he tried to assassinate, he was involved in a plot to assassinate Hitler, actually, at the beginning of the war. So he was imprisoned by the Nazis, but he was a theologian. He loved Jesus with all of his heart. And um, he was imprisoned, he was actually assassinated right at the end of, uh, of, the, of the Second World War. But his niece was getting married during the war. And his niece really wanted her favourite uncle to preach at her wedding. But he was in prison. He couldn't. And so what Dietrich Bonhoeffer did was he wrote a sermon that was then read out. And it's an extraordinary story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer saying that your marriage is not just the two of you. It's something far bigger. It's a picture of something that is far bigger and far grander. And this is what he said. Marriage is more than your love for each other. It has a higher dignity and power. For it's God's holy ordinance through which he wills to perpetuate the human race till the end of time. In your love you see only your two selves in the world. But in marriage you are a link to the chain of the generations which God causes to come and to pass away to his glory and calls into his kingdom. In your love, you see only the heaven of your own happiness. But in marriage, you are placed at a post of responsibility towards the world and mankind. Your love is your own private possession. But marriage is more than something personal. It's a status, it's an office. Just as, the, just as, as it is the crown and not merely the will to rule that makes a king, so it is marriage and not just merely your love for one another, that joins you together in the sight of God and man. Marriage is not just two people coming together. It's something that involves something far wider. And one of the things that it does is this. It pictures the gospel to an unbelieving world. Now you might think, as you sit on the sofa at the end of a long week and you fall asleep with your husband or your wife and you wake up watching police camera action or whatever it is that you've watched. My marriage is not modelling anything to anybody. But trust me, marriage models commitment to an unbelieving world. And people will see the gospel in your marriage. They will see that actually Christ loved the church and Christ gave himself up for the church. The Bible starts with a marriage with Adam and Eve. And the Bible ends with a marriage as Christ marrying his beautiful bride. 
And in Ephesians, it says this. Look, if the, verse that, the verses that Joe had, look, if you want to see what marriage is really like, look how Jesus gave himself for his bride. He sacrificed, he gave up everything for his bride. And when we start to build biblical marriages, people just begin to see a glimpse of the gospel. I think you might think, well, people might see that. If only my husband would just take the bins out occasionally, people might see the gospel. If he would just help me with the shopping, or if my wife would just do this. No, there is something about the office of marriage that models the gospel to an unbelieving world. And I think, just to let you know, so many people come and will start living together before they get married. And we have people coming into the church. You know, at Trinity, people will come in and they'll be living together. And what we say to them is this, you are so welcome here. You're really, really welcome. But just question the values underneath you living together before you're married. Because often, when people live together, it's just a convenient thing. You come together because it saves housing costs. It's, it's just easier. But there is something about living together that if it doesn't work out, what do you do? You separate. And there's something about a selfish love that you think, no, that's not really the gospel. There's something about a selfless love that you're giving yourself to somebody regardless. You have far better arguments if you're married than if you're living together without being married. And it's far better for women <laughs> to get married. Men probably prefer living together because if they can just walk away. I think sometimes women feel more insecure when they're living together because they think, what happens if we have children and then he just walks? Now, there is, it model, marriage models something of the goodness and the grace of God. Our second point is this. Marriage is about teamwork. In the Genesis um, passage, it says that um, there's, there's, there's lots for the, the people, to, for Adam to do to care for the garden and for the animals, but it wasn't good for Adam to be alone in that. And um, there's something about the sum of their collective capacity that was far greater than Adam on his own and, and an individual's ability. And uh, we were, we've been reading, and Kay Ron writes an article, and she wrote, um, I've noticed one common trait in couples who thrive in ministry over the long haul the ability to see themselves as a team who share a God-given dream. I believe that this one factor can actually make or break the ministry God has called you to. Being a team sharing a dream can revitalize a marriage, a family, a local church, and ultimately the kingdom of God. And you and your spouse are each other's most valuable resource for ministry. Um, more than your education or your training or uh, your ability or your spiritual gifts, more than anything, you need each other. And uh, working together, you, you know, you're a team sharing a dream, and that's really important. And in a team, you play to strengths. And um, so you do the stuff that you're really good at. And the reason that Duncan is doing the kind of the theological side of this is because he's much better at that. And, and, and he's got time to give to that, and I don't. And um, so that's why he's doing most of the talking. So I'll hand back to you. Thing about, <clears throat> about working as a team together is I don't know if you have ever done a strength finder test. There is something where you can actually go and analyze what are your strengths as a team. 
I'd just say it's, it's, I think it costs you about 10 quid to go and do a strength finder test. And it would be so much, so it'd be so worthwhile your time and your money just to go and see what are the things that you bring. And then you begin to understand how you work together as a team. And then you, so this couple that were involved in, in church planting over in Munich, actually the woman, she is far better at gathering people. She is brilliant at gathering people. And he is very good at teaching. And they have tied themselves up in knots because they think, oh, shouldn't I? The guy was thinking, shouldn't I be doing the gathering? And shouldn't she be sort of like knitting people in? And they were going nowhere really quickly until they suddenly really did this strength finder test. And her number one gift was to go into a room of strangers and convince them that they want to come with her. And her, his number one gift was when they're in the room, he will make them feel welcome and he will teach them and he will build something together. But they had to understand what their strengths were and then they had to play to their strengths. The second key point about marriage is this, that marriage celebrates both unity and difference. And I think sometimes we really want to push what is the difference between male and female and how can they be different. But sometimes the Bible starts not with what's different, but how similar we are. It starts with our similarities. In Genesis 1, it says God's, God created Adam. And then after all the different days that went by, every, after every day, what was it that Jesus said as he overlooked all of his work? What did he say? Ah, oh, this is good. I like, this is really good. Created all these things. This is good. We've made it mankind. This is good. We've made these, made these animals. It's really, what was the first time when God said, actually, it's not so good? He said, it's not good for Adam to be alone. That was the first moment. And then you have this, I don't know why God did this, but then it's weird. But then you have this procession of animals that come past Adam. He's looking for a mate, and then you see a giraffe walking past. He's thinking, oh, I don't fancy that one, to be honest. Uh, nice legs. Uh, yeah, nice legs. Not like the neck. Nah, not that. Then a starling flutters by, and you're thinking, God, what are you talking about? What, starling? And a Labrador walks past. He's like, oh, yeah. Labrador, yeah. Nah, maybe not. That's not going to really work. And then Adam falls into this deep sleep and a rib is taken out of his side and woman is formed and then there's this moment of silence <laughs> and then Adam looks at this woman and he says oh at last bone of my bone flesh of my flesh this is the one this is my partner and I think what happens is that here we are in 2019, 8 billion people on the planet united in our humanity. We are united. We're made in the image of God, male and female. And I think we would say that we're not, we're not identical, but we complement each other extraordinarily well. And I know some very good and godly, Bible-believing Christians that would have an egalitarian view of men and women together. That it's, we're pretty much the same. That we have the same function. We are equal in dignity and honour before God. I think no one would disagree before that. 
but they would say actually our roles are pretty much the same. And it would say the roles in the family are pretty much the same, and therefore the roles as a consequence in the church are pretty much the same. But I think when you read Ephesians, there's probably a better way of looking at it. To say that no, men and women complement each other in different roles. They complement each other. We do have different roles. You can't read Ephesians by saying anything other than we have different roles in marriage. Which leads us very helpfully on to point number four. Marriage is all about sacrifice and submission. When we come to these verses, it all gets a little bit scary. And we start talking about submission. But the thing is, we always, we just zone on those verses when it says, wives! In fact, I want to put on Mr. Chumley Warner's voice. You know, from Harry Enfield. Wives, submit to your husbands. It's a very good thing to do. (laughs) Or else, you know, if you're of a certain age, do you know who I'm talking about by Big Daddy or Giant Haystacks? Put, just put your hands up, please. Identify with me, okay, yeah. If you, if you even put your hands up, sorry, it's, you just don't get it. But it was wrestling, wrestling in sort of like the 80s and 90s, and these big lumbering blubbers would, would wander around the stage and fall on each other and sort of like, it was all a big charade show anyway. But in the end, in the end they say, Big Daddy has won by two falls and a submission. And we somehow think that submission is like that. You beat each other up and, and so you say, yeah, okay, I submit, I submit. That is not the submission we're talking about. Submission is very, very different. And the truth is that in marriage, sacrifice and submission only work together. And you know when you go to these old churches and you see these fantastic great stone arches, the reason they built those big stone arches is because they're very, very strong. When you have one bit of stone leaning into another bit of stone like this, you can't push it down. It's very, very strong. Now, if you have sacrifice and submission leaning into each other, you create something that's strong. Very strong. You take one of those away, it all falls down. You take sacrifice away, submission will just fall down. You take submission, that sacrifice just falls down. They only work together. And the, the biblical picture of marriage is this, that husbands, you are supposed to lay down your lives for your wife. Yeah. Lay them down. <laughs> come on, wife. all the wives, all the wives are saying, come on! <laughs> I'm just going to stand here like this. Okay. <laughs> but that's what you're called to do. Amen. That is what you're called to do. Yes. You're supposed to put your wife's interest ahead of your own. As Christ loved the church, what did he do? He put their interests above his own. He suffered extraordinarily for the sake of his beautiful bride, the church. He laid everything. He gave his life up. He sacrificed everything for his wife. And you know, there are some people that that sort of like, they want to sort of like rally against this whole thing of submission. But when you start saying, Okay, how about submitting to a wife that will, to, submitting yourself to a husband that will lay his life down for you? Suddenly, it, the sting is gone. And suddenly, it becomes something beautiful. And it's not 
we're not talking about sub, like submission as in a husband saying, look, I am the boss of this situation. Is that okay if I say that? Yeah, anyway. So. <laughs> how, how did Jesus lead? He was the ultimate servant leader. What did he do? He got a towel around his waist and he wrapped it down and he washed his disciples' feet. He, Jesus led by laying his life down for his friends, putting his own welfare above their own. And that, therefore, is the type of marriage we want to build. A sacrificing husband and a submitting wife coming together to build something of extraordinary beauty and strength. And as a consequence, church leadership takes its pattern from the leadership at home. That's why we want to have sacrificing guys who will lead in the church and women who will come and support that and submit to eldership. You think, now that is the model that we want to aspire to in the church. But I can't talk about this on my own. Jill, come and share your bit. Okay, so um, let me just. Sorry. Submission is also set in the context that actually we're all supposed to submit to God first in any case. You know, that's the God has the ultimate headship in our in our lives. It's not out of context, is it? And and that's the model of headship in marriage that we're all submitting to Christ. And. Um, you know, also, it's not a call for all women to submit to all men either. Just, you know, it, it's about a wife submitting to her own husband. And, and that's the man who's committed to laying down his life for her. That's, that's not so difficult. Um, I listened to Janet Johnson talking about this, and she illustrated it really well. She said that it goes back to that image I talked about before about teamwork and that the marriage partnership is a team and that... Um, when you have a team, every good team has a team captain. And that's the sort of model rather than the kind of um, being beaten in a, a, uh, in a fight. That's the, the picture. And, you know, you are going to have to make big decisions in your marriage as you go through and you live together. You're going to have to... But you have to make those together and you have to pray and you have to talk. And, you know, if you disagree, you have to go back to praying and to talking. And it's not that you suddenly... That, that I'm going to, um, in our marriage, I'm going to abrogate all that responsibility to, to Duncan to make a final decision. No, you have to work it out together and come back and discuss and come back and discuss. You know, um, I was, when we decided to move church, Duncan, we were painting our, um, our loft extension and um, we just had Maddie and uh, Duncan's going, oh, I wonder who we're painting this loft extension for. And I'm thinking, for us. But he'd been hearing God saying, it's time to move on. And I'm thinking, well, we're not going until God speaks to me. Because actually, we go as a, in a partnership. And yeah. God did need to speak to me as well. But actually, I probably would not have gone when Duncan was saying it was right to go. Because I was nesting really big time. But God moved. And then I thought, oh, I'll start reading what God says. And I'll start in Genesis. And really quickly got to Abraham. And God says, leave your people and the place you're in and go to a place I'll take you. And I thought, bummer. <laughs> God is speaking so loudly. But, you know, Duncan took lead leadership and was that team captain in us, in our marriage, in that situation. Um, 
the other thing is that, um, the fifth point is that marriage is built on love. You know, it's all these other things as well, but it is love. And love is the promise that we make in marriage. And I just wanted to read the verses that are often read in marriage sermons, which is the, the Corinthians ones that say, love is patient, love is kind. It's not it does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Do you know, I don't think love is not easy or fluffy. Um, if you say that you love your partner then and your spouse, then you are making a choice to be patient. And that's probably at that moment when your partner is making you very impatient. You know, it's not going to be... Yeah, it's easy to say I'll be patient with Duncan on a good day, but it's when he's really winding me up that actually I'm called to, to make that choice to be patient. And you, you making a choice to be kind when it would be easy to be harsh. Um, and you're going to need to ask for God's help to be kind, to be patient, to not be rude, you know, to not get angry... And those are moments when, you know, actually, if you're going to show real biblical love, you need the Holy Spirit to help you because those aren't easy choices. The, the other verse I really love is the last one, which says, God, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And love is about choosing again and asking God to help you to protect your spouse, to choose to trust that their heart is right even if they're saying the wrong things, you know, to work at your relationship, to choose hope. You know, sometimes you can be in the middle of a row and you feel like, oh, I don't, maybe it's just me. You think, my goodness, this is hopeless. This is rubbish. And, but actually, you make a choice to always hope. And, and I don't think it means being a doormat. I'm not very good at being a doormat. Um, and there are going to be times when you call out bad behavior in your spouse and they call out bad behavior in you. Um, and, and you're going to have to have those difficult conversations in that. But that's what love is. Love is saying, actually, I'm going to not get angry, and I'm not going to be rude, and I am going to be patient, and choosing to love in the strength of the Holy Spirit rather than mm. um, in our own strength, because we need God in it. <coughs> yeah, we're going to finish. I hope, hope um, uh, five foundations for a biblical marriage, 10 practical things. Number one, you've got to stay close to Jesus. If you want to have a marriage, just keep coming to church. Keep coming, being involved in the community. You have to stay close to Jesus. Okay, number two. You see every area of your life as an act of worship. You know, not just church, not just singing in, on a Sunday, but your marriage as an act of worship. Going to work, talking with your neighbours, raising children, sorting finance, having sex, they're all an act of worship. And number three, pray together. It, it, we actually sometimes, we struggle to pray together sometimes. But actually, we made a commitment every Friday. We get up and we pray with a few other people. But we get up at whatever it is. It's a, a, a ridiculous hour, 6 o'clock six o'clock in the morning. And you think, but we pray. But we have to make a commitment that we will continue to pray together consistently. Yeah. Um, examine your own heart. I think that sometimes we allow unforgiveness and hurt to build up. And then that colours how you deal with stuff. And actually, we need to not allow space for those things to fester. Uh, if you're hurt, then you're not actually going to deal with stuff well. And um, I always remember our old um, minister saying, don't give sin a foothold. 
don't allow it a foothold. So deal with that stuff really quickly. Uh, number five, uh, husbands, we, we have to lead in the good bits, but we have to lead in the bad bits as well. And I don't really like to do this sometimes. But sometimes husbands, we have to take a lead in resolving conflict. <laughs> which I don't like doing. Sorry, I'm not laughing. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like doing it. It's hard. But sometimes leadership isn't always easy. But actually, if we want to bring leadership, well, that's what we have to do. Um, be quick to listen. Um, somebody said, you, you give, you're given um, one mouth, two ears, and that's the, the how you should do it. You should be listening twice as much as you're speaking. And number seven, just play to your strengths as much as you can. You have to know what your strengths are. I'd really encourage you to go online and do the Strength Finder test. It costs £10, you do it online, but know what your strengths are and play to them. I know that actually on a Sunday morning, I can go around to anybody in church and then say, why, why don't you come back to our house for lunch? And I know that I can go to Jill and she'll just say, yeah, that's fine. That's why I married her. I might rush to Tesco's. But she just loves it and she just thinks, oh, don't worry, we'll, we'll somehow work it out. So anybody can come in and be included. And I think, oh, that's our strengths. We know what we can do quite well and we support each other in it. Um, also, know your love languages. You know, there's five touch, time, gifts, words and actions. And these are the ways that you feel love and they're often the ways that you then show your love. In our marriage, Duncan, one of Duncan's main love languages is time. Uh, mine is actions. And, you know, I can get caught up in doing practical jobs, which actually is a way of me showing love to my family and to Duncan. And um, he would, when we were, Duncan's a minister, he has Mondays off, and when I wasn't working, he would say, oh, let's, let's um, spend some time together, let's go for a walk. And I'm thinking, no, there's lots of jobs, I want to do the stuff to make the home run well. And it would be really frustrating, but it, it took for us to understand that our love languages are different so it was a bit of a light bulb moment. I thought, oh, you're trying to spend time with me. I wasn't getting that. I just thought you wanted to walk away from all this stuff. And actually, if Duncan had said, well, why don't I put the washing on and you do the hoovering and then we'll get those tasks done, that would have made me feel much more loved. But understanding how we ticked really helped me to understand who we are as a, a partnership. Number nine, don't make an idol of your marriage. Occasionally, we do have people that just hide everything about their marriage and they can't do anything. And yes, we got married, so we're going to take five years off ministry just to sort of settle in. And you think, no, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Don't do that. You'd have to be careful. But we got married in May, and I think six weeks later, I don't know if it was sensible or not, we took all our youth group out to Kenya for six weeks and we were living with all sensible. these... sensible, it was great. <laughs> ...with all these teenagers and we're thinking, really, was that... But there was something about... Your marriage actually helps you minister. Yes. It takes you places. It takes you on an adventure. Don't just come, become consumed in yourself. There's loads of things to do. God is really good, and he's got great adventures for you. And uh, number 10, take responsibility for your own work with God. You know, the, the Bible exhorts us to be prayerful, to walk humbly with God. And our aim, surely, is to shine like Jesus out of the lives, into the lives of our friends and our colleagues and our community and actually your your marriage is going to do that we've talked about that it's going to spill out and it's going to be a model for other people to look in and say actually you do your life really well look at the way that you live together and your the love of Jesus shines out of that so take responsibility for your own walk fantastic 
Um, can I just ask, has anybody ever been to Las Vegas to renew their wedding vows? Good. <laughs> do you know, sometimes what people do is they'll go to Las Vegas and they will stand before some Elvis Presley type figure, as bonkers, and then they'll say, we renew our wedding vows. But you just need to know, we don't have to do that. And one of the things that we can do is we can renew our wedding vows to Jesus. And one of the ways that we do that, actually, is by taking communion. And what I want us to do is, as an act of renewing our wedding vows to Christ, who gave himself for us, us, his beautiful bride, <coughs> and he did it, his act of restoring us, his marriage act as it was, was to die on this cross for us. He gave himself up. He modelled something. And I want us to take communion. And I want, as we take communion, to think about it slightly differently, to think if you are a husband or if you aspire one day to be a husband, I want you to take communion and as you take in this body and blood of Jesus, identify with him as he gave himself and say, this is how I will be a husband. And if you are a wife, or if you aspire to be a wife, as you take in the body and blood of Jesus, I want you to say to yourself, I am the beautiful bride that this man gives his life for. I am the beautiful bride. But we're doing it. Our marriage is a model of the gospel. Let's take this communion, remember what Christ has done, and that ultimately we are married to Jesus Christ. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.